Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Rain Retail Software, Sean Roylance. Sean has gone on record to say he's an entrepreneur at heart, and one look at his resume will also reveal his incredibly prolific software engineering experience. Starting from a Commodore, Vic his father gave him in when he was 12, Sean went on to pursue a computer science degree before moving into working full-time as a software engineer at various companies across and around Utah. Sean took his experience in entrepreneurship and started Rain Retail in 2009, which provides point-of-sale solutions to allow retailers to consolidate things like inventory, customer accounts, purchase orders, and more under one simultaneous system. Rain Retail Software has been growing like crazy, so Sean, my friend, let's get right to it. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, my pleasure. So, okay, we, we took our stab at your story, but in your own words, how did you get into this thing? Yeah, um, man, good question. I'll, I'll try and keep it, you know, reasonably brief. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I grew up, I started um, out in Washington State as a kid, um, and I grew up on a farm. Uh, my, my dad was a farmer, my grandpa was a cattle rancher. And growing up in that kind of setting, my whole goal was get off the farm. <laughs> um, I, I knew I loved computers. I was probably I was one of the only kids in uh, you know in school at that point that really had access to a computer at home. I started programming um, when I was twelve. Loved it. Um, went to school, studied computer science, and then by the time I graduated, was the time that I realized actually that there's this whole entrepreneurial side of me that I didn't really know was there you know previously, um, and. And so I really wanted to find something I could do uh, to start out, uh, you know, where I could start my own business. Part of me wishes I would have known that, you know, four years earlier. Sure. <laughs> could have taken some more business classes, that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, it happens when it happens, I guess. Um, it took me about a dozen years because, you know, as, as software engineers, you know, we get paid really well. Um, and so, so, you know, to ask my wife to be like, hey, let's, uh, let's sacrifice and, you know, not have the salary and stuff. Was something I didn't really want to do, so it took me it took me about a dozen years of trying things and coming up with different ideas and trying to get off the ground on the side while I still did the full time job. Um, finally, I had an idea that looked like it was starting to work, um, but but at the same time I knew it wasn't going to pay the bills. But my wife at that point could just see that um, that that I just had to do this. You know, it's yeah a lot, a lot of the the ways I think about it, and and you probably come across this a lot, Drew. Um, but I think about like, it was just in me and, and I just had to do it. Yep. You know, it, it's like, as part of my life journey that just had to start a business. And so, so she kind of saw that and, 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 and just understood that I was just going to always be restless until I started something. So she got behind it with me. Um, and, uh, and anyway, so we dove in, signed up our first, this was right as the great recession hit. You know, that hit in October, we signed up our first 24 clients in November. Wow. I quit my full-time job in January. And, uh, of 2008. And so, so, uh, no, October, November, 2008, January, 2009. That was when I quit. Wow. My job. Um, well, what was that like? Was it, was it scary? Was it like, Hey, we already got our first customers. We're going to be okay. What was it like? 
Oh, I totally thought it was going to be okay uh, <laughs> until we got a few more months into it. And then we realized, shoot, there's, this is harder than, than we thought. Um, money was harder to come by. Uh, and, and so I, I brought on two business partners during the first six months. And, and all three of us, you know, a big way that we funded it essentially was by not paying ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's stretches where we pay ourselves nothing. And then probably the first five years or so where we just paid ourselves significantly less than if we had followed our own professional careers, you know, elsewhere. Um, but that was just, you know, that, that's, that's kind of how we made ends meet to, to get the business, you know, really up and going. Now, when so, you had these, these initial, um, these initial ideas that you were trying to get off, off the ground on the side, yeah. were they, when you look back, were they very similar to what this is, but just a different, you know, model or iteration, or were they kind of completely all, or were they all over the place, like totally different businesses? They were all over the place. Um, one of the ones that, let's see, one, one that, I, that I was very close to doing was doing a, a computer retail store sell, selling hardware. Um, this is back in the day when, you know, like early 2000s, where there's lots of the kind of mom and pop retail computer stores where you could go buy your computer at. Yep. And so I almost did that. And, and I almost pulled the trigger, I'd say within 18 months after when I decided no, was when suddenly those stores just seemed to just vanish. Um, so kind of lucked out on that one that I didn't do it. Another one that I, that I totally think to this day probably could have worked. I had worked with a couple of, of, of uh, genealogy related companies, one of them was Ancestry.com, um, and I had uh, built a, a web crawler that could go out and find essentially free resources around the web, but unless you knew they were there, you couldn't find them. And so it was scraping together all this data, and I made a paid-for search uh, capability um, that, that I actually had paying customers for, but but just didn't I believe it. Just didn't you know carry it forward. So I abandoned it after a little, after a while. So, yeah, yeah, completely different than retail inventory. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you mentioned something you know earlier that I've heard a lot on the podcast, which is that period of time where I, I mentioned to another guest, I didn't have this issue because I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. Uh, but if you were being successful in something that you wanted to quit you kind of have a, a version of golden handcuffs. You have like money yes. handcuffs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it can create fear. It can create real logistical issues around a certain lifestyle that has been built based off of that consistent income. And we're about to sacrifice that. And so that brings the family into to decisions. How did you either overcome it or combat it uh, to eventually uh, get free? Yeah. Um, man, you know, kind of mentioned my, my wife kind of supporting me um, was a big step. Her, her father was actually uh, a computer programmer as well. Um, you know, he was back in, you know, what had to have been some of the first programmers that existed. Mm. He worked for the military um, and uh, programming F-16s. Uh, and he had one job his whole entire career. So when, she, when we got married and, and I was doing, you know, uh, computer programming, she thought, oh, I like this life. It's stable. It's consistent. It's predictable. Um, and, and then she finds out I'm anything but. And so, so it's, it's, you know, finally, you know, between the two of us, just kind of coming to that mutual understanding that this is just who I am and I have to do it. That, that was a big part of it. But then the second part I would say is between her and the kids, um, you know, being supportive of it, 
uh, you know, my, my older kids were old enough to really, you know, they, they still very much remember this, the, the initial years where, um, you know, we did back to school shopping at, at a, a secondhand store. Um, we, we, the, you know, the food we ate was, you know, kind of like the rice and beans type of diet. Oh yeah. Um, the like the, the ramen noodle food. diet, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I feel like we're back in college. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, my wife and I, it was one thing that's always been important to us, you know, to, to the extent possible, we always go out on Friday night and, and during this, we still did, you know, we're doing two for one coupons to taco time. That, that was our, that was our date night, you know, eating out and stuff, but we just did what we had to, to, to make it work. And, and it was, you know, it was, we significantly tightened our belts for sure. Um, but we made it through and, and as hard as it was, you know, I, I, I wouldn't trade it at all at this point. It's so huge. Uh, you know, we've talked about this several times on the podcast, but if you don't have that, that support from your closest network, you know, your spouse, your kids, or, you know, that kind of thing, man, it could, it could rip you apart, you know, whether it rips the relationship apart or it rips the business apart because you're in such a survival mode, right? That you almost have to have things you can count on. <laughs> it's like, if we can't count on the money. If we can't count on the business working, like, do I have your support, you know? And yeah. so it sounds like you had that as well. And, and I'm sure like it was for me and my wife, it was an ongoing conversation. It wasn't always easy. And there were moments we almost said, this isn't worth it, right? But at yeah. least kept that conversation going and, and we're united in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. I'm, uh, how long would you say, I like to think of it as the lean years, like as you're wandering the wilderness of the startup, it sounded like you, maybe five years. Um, is that about what it was, would you say? Yeah, I, I maybe kind of split that into two periods. There's okay. the, the super lean years, which were, two to three years. Um, and then there was the more by choice. We're still really investing and in, in, in getting things, you know, kind of going still. And, and so, so we still kept uh, the amount that we're paying, you know, myself, and my two business partners kept that very late. And, and, and then, um, so, so that maybe gets us about year five. And then even still a few years after that, it was our compensation was kind of the backstop, you know, where, where we knew that, if, if we couldn't make payroll, it's coming out of our pockets, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so I put it into kind of those stages. Gotcha. And so let's back up just one second before I dive into those stages. What, where did the idea for rain retail come from? Right. You had other ideas that you decided not to pursue, but what did you see that led you to this idea and thought, this is the one I'm going to bet on? <laughs> uh, man, it, it Honestly, it is, it's kind of funny and it's kind of, it's, it's almost, it almost shows just how much I just wanted something to work. Um, but so, so my wife, she has for the last 20 years, she's designed quilt patterns. And, and so one day I'm, I'm looking at this quilt she has on the wall and I told her, I'm like, I could write software that could, that could do all the automatic, that could automatically generate the pattern for, for this quilt pattern or this quilt that you have on the wall. And she's been designing and knows how much work it is. You got to do yardage and instruct cutting instructions and assembly instructions and all this stuff. She's like, no way. So about eight hours later, I came out of the office <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, uh, so I have this software that, you know, it's, it's spitting out these designs and she couldn't believe it. Um, about a hundred hours later, I had, um, a piece of software that could legitimately produce, I calculated it to be about 11 billion different unique quilt patterns. 
Um, and so, so we took that to a, a trade show in that industry and along with her patterns that she just designed to sell them to retail quilt stores. Um, we, we sold a bunch of it and, and this was 2008 in, in May. And then when I was there at the show, I had somebody approach me and they're like, Hey, we do websites for, for, you know, businesses in, in this industry. Are you interested? And I took a look at what they had and I'm like, honestly, you know, me, <laughs> uh, that I didn't say this to them. I'm like, ah, oh, I could do way better. Yeah. Um, I could build this and, myself. <laughs> and so the flight back was the whole, you know, back of the napkin kind of you know, moment for us where we sketched out the, the business plan, spent the next six months, you know, evenings, vacation, you know, holidays, just work over work. And, and what I initially created was a content management system um, designed for these quilt stores where a, uh, an owner of a quilt store that maybe isn't very technical, um, doesn't have very much time, could get in and manage a website. So we did that. That's when we signed up those first 24 in, in November of that year, signed up for our first 24 clients and, and then started getting into some other clients and stuff as well. And, and we're just really a content management system and an e-commerce platform. That's what we were for several years. Um, and then 2012, and, and, and the idea kind of come up once or twice before, but 2012 was when we really solidified around this. We had all these stores, and what we found was that, that we could help them get all their products online. And, 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 and the ones that could get their products online and have their inventory up to date and their pricing up to date, they saw this real list, sometimes tons of people buying online, but in many, many cases, it's people kind of starting their shopping journey online, but then finishing it in the store. And, and they'd see this real lift with their sales for their stores. Mm. And so we're seeing this consumer behavior. And I feel like that we are one of the few, you know, in 2010, 2011, 2012, that saw firsthand the evolving shopping, you know, kind of experience that we now today take for granted. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're like, we got to help these people. And then at the same time, what we saw was probably 95% of our clients, we'd help them get their, their stuff up there on their website. But then in two weeks, it's out of date. Prices are changing. Inventory levels are changing. We'd give them just a click, 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 keep it up to date every day. And that was just too, it was just too much work. And it just, it just didn't quite work for them and their daily process. And so we had a couple say, hey, well, can you integrate with our in-store desktop, you know, inventory management system and, and point and sell system? And, and we actually tried to go down that route with a couple of different companies. And what we found was that our priorities and their priorities, they just didn't quite line up. They weren't in sync. We weren't going to the same speeds. And not to mention the technological challenges of having a desktop source of truth with an online, you know, reflection of, of that. Um, and so we came up with the idea, hey, let's let's put this in the cloud. And here's another thing that back then, I mean, the whole nine years ago, <laughs> um, the idea of, of running the core of your business in the cloud was pretty sketchy. You I know, didn't know they had the cloud capabilities nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, j just like just the, the fact that you needed to have a reliable enough internet connection from your store to the cloud that could that could uh, process you know someone checking out every single day you know every day all day that, that, that was a bit of a question mark um, but we went with it we're like we believe in it we think this is only going to get better and more stable and this is the direction of things and so so we built 
Then we, we extended our e-commerce platform and then built that to include inventory management, in-store point of sale, you know, this whole package. And the way I oftentimes describe it now, it's like, you know, Walmart, you can buy online, pick up in store, you can buy in store, you can buy online, return in store, you know, however you want to do it. Um, we do that for your main street mom and pop retailers. Um, and, and so, uh, so, so that's, that's what we dove into. We released the product and, you know, this much more comprehensive product in 2013. And, and that really altered the, the course of our business. You know, uh, otherwise we'd just be yet another e-commerce provider, you know, that's uh, trying to, to make the e-commerce game work. Wow. Um, we really pivoted at that point. Wow. Now, back at the beginning, when you were targeting these quilt uh, stores and shops, yeah. mm -hmm. where, did you look at it and run the numbers on, like, the TAM, like, the total addressable market? And No. Okay, because that's my thought yeah. is, like, I don't know much about the world, but I can't imagine it's it's very big. You know, it's all relative. Big is relative. But yeah, talk me through that. Was it more <laughs> well, just like was, you said? I just yeah, I didn't even know what TAM something. was. Okay. Um, at, at that point in time, um, I, di I didn't know what, you know, LTV to CAC ratios were. I didn't know, you know, all, all these different things. Um, it, it was, a, we we're just trying to build a business that could like, you know, that we could survive on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, so, so really I'd say until about 2014, um, 2014, 2015, the first half dozen years of business, that whole kind of thinking wasn't, wasn't on our radar whatsoever. It was build something that can survive um, and and uh, hopefully have some kind of a future. But but what that future was, you know, we joke about it a little bit you know, today. Um, my goal from a, like a financial or business size standpoint was, um, you know, make it so that that I didn't have to work for another business. I wanted to be my own boss. I mean, my, my couple partners were kind of, you know, that, that's part, that was part of it for sure. Um, part of it was just this inside of us. We're just, we're just entrepreneurs. And, and, and then my financial goal was make enough money that I could pay off my house. I, I, I'm like, if, if that's where I end up in the end, if that's all yeah. this does, if I can pay off my house, I'll call that a success. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that's what, so, so in a lot of ways, I would argue now looking back on it, that I, I limited my thinking, you know, maybe artificially limited my thinking because that, that's how I viewed the world at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, now we still, you know, the the quilting and sewing and craft industry that that's still um, where we have the the largest portion of our customers. But we now have customers in musical instruments and outdoor sporting goods, scuba diving, skiing, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, clothing boutiques, uh, pet stores, jewelry stores, you know, you name it. But um, but but that was kind of our our our, our start. Um, and, and now, you know, when, when you look at what the TAM looks like, if, you, if you're just going to open this up to all what we think of as specialty retail, it, it's huge. Um, but, but we didn't see that that's not how we, how we even thought about things. Sure. Then. Sure. It makes sense to me. You know, when you're, when you're going from a kind of corporate track of a professional mm -hmm. career and yeah. you're feeling the pull to an entrepreneurial track, which in a lot of ways I think about it, and I don't mean to sound uh, over, overly simplistic, but just as an, like an analogy, I like to think about it going from like a, a gatherer to a hunter, right? And yeah. there's nothing wrong with either of them, but one has a lot more built-in security, and you kind of have a smaller 
world that you're in. And then entrepreneur, you feel this pressure of like, you're telling me I got to learn to go out and kill everything I eat. You know, I've got to, I've got to find, if I, if I don't do it, I go hungry. Like, so yeah. that survival mechanism ki kicks in. And so often our vision is limited to just surviving. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah. It's like, okay, if I could just make this work, if I could just survive, well, of course that's what we're thinking in the beginning because we're just hoping we can make it work. And then once you start to make it work, it's almost like you satisfy that bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of need. You know, where you have food, shelter, and water. You kind of go yeah. up a little bit and you're like, well, I wonder if there's more we could do. And you're like working your way up the pyramid of your vision kind of kind of upgrading with your belief in yourself is my guess. That's just kind of my theory. Did you experience some of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, and, and part of it too was, um, you know, I, I wasn't sophisticated as, as a businessman at, at that point in time. You know, churn was not in my vocabulary. I didn't know what that was. Sure. Um, and, 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 and things like, you know, like I said before, LTV and CAC and, and those kinds of things. Um, a rule of 40 and you, know, you name it. Um, I, those were, those were not on my radar. They, they never came across anything I ever saw or did. And so I didn't even know they existed. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're exactly right with, with kind of how it, how it started out. And then a lot of what we did in a, in a lot of ways, I would say we kind of reinvented the wheel. Um, you know, we were just figuring out, uh, you know, I remember when we brought on my second partner, uh, we, we had some software, um, my first partner that, that I knew before is the most fantastic salesman I've ever known in my life. Um, came in and started, you know, helping get more sales going. And, and, and then we brought on uh, uh, our, our third partner and he's like, um, so somebody needs to do some fulfillment and somebody needs to like do some support here. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kind of inventing as we go. <laughs> yes. Uh, seeing the needs as they arrive and uh, arise and stuff. And, and, uh, and just kind of trying to you know plug the holes um and and, and then like i say it wasn't until you know 20 2014 ish when we started to get a lot more sophisticated i love it now my assumption and please correct me if i'm wrong my assumption would be your business education right like so you're you're upgrading of your business intellect vocabulary understanding so i would guess 70 percent ish came just from experience like just from yeah. running the business and you learn as you go but yeah. I assume there's probably some that were, you know, 20, 10 to 20%, maybe 30% that came from the right mentor or a book or, you know, some outside resource that you were able to kind of gobble up. And I just, I'm always curious, what were some of the, either the books or resources that supplemented your learning just through experience or yeah. on top of just experience? Yeah. So one of the things, and, and, and I've often thought, you know, if I'd gone the business route in school, would it have gone substantially different? But one thing I feel like that that was very, very beneficial, you know, I worked 12 years as a, as a software engineer. Um, I worked for, for several different companies during that time. Uh, because I was so restless, I didn't, I didn't last very long in any one place because I'd be, here's my ideas. And they're like, okay, cool. The company does this other thing. And I, I get frustrated and I wasn't a very good employee. <laughs> I could work hard and be energized. Um, and until, until, you know, I couldn't add to the vision and, and, and then I just, I, you know, I had to find something else. So I bounced around a few different places. One of the things I learned was, I feel like was how to, to treat employees and how not to. So much of my experience was the negative experience mm. of, of how not to treat employees. And, and so, so that, 
um, I feel like has contributed a ton to how um, the, the way we've built our company culture over time. Um, and, and I don't know that you'd find it in too many business classes uh, sure. on how to do that. Um, and, and so, so that was a big, big teacher for me was, was being an employee, being in, you know, at the ground level and different levels of management for a long time. Next, I would say the e-myth, huge for me. When I, I was, was just you know, thinking about years. that. <laughs> going going from the baker to owning the bakery, right? Like yeah. you going from the software engineer to the guy running a software engineering company. That's very yeah. similar in that book. So the e-myth was big. Um, the innovator solution um, was, was huge. That was the one that really kind of served as a key inspiration for for helping us see the opportunity and grasp that opportunity to, to jump into inventory management, point of sale, and it's much, much bigger opportunity. What's the big idea? I haven't read that one. What's the big idea behind that, that book? Basically, um, so it's by Clayton, Clayton Christensen, who uh, was like the dean of business at Harvard for, for a while. Um, really cool concepts. He has a couple of concepts. And an innovative solution, the, the, the big thing that it talks about is how big companies um, just and, and inherently everyone operating, um, you know, to doing the best to do their jobs, they, they end up putting themselves in the spot where they're then vulnerable to somebody that kind of come in from the low cost side of things and disrupt things. Yeah. Um, and, and so we could see the competition that we had in the point of sale space. And we could see that it, that it was open for somebody to come in kind of from the bottom up and provide something simple, something, you know, easy to use, something maybe more modern and, and where we didn't have the cost structures in place yet. They required high price with prices. So we can come in and disrupt from, from that direction. And, and you look at it and that's, you know, nearly universal that, that anything where you have existing players, they're vulnerable to somebody coming in and attacking it in that, in that direction. Brilliant. Um, so very, very cool book uh, and, and gave us kind of the confidence to go in and attack this market. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I would say we, we really just kind of lived what, what that book, you know, what that book preaches there. Awesome. Um, another, another resource for me that was huge, you know, being in software was we started going to, this, this is a couple of years later, but we started going to Saster, um, the it's a, a software conference out in San Francisco they do every year. Um, aimed at SaaS businesses, and uh, and that's where we really started to learn a lot of the vocabulary um, around around software as a service and and the, the kinds of key metrics that we needed to really understand to to really kind of fine tune our business and and, and get it operating you know, very smoothly, um, and, and and then keep the growth going and, and and that kind of stuff. So those that's probably my my biggest sources of of education. Yeah, well. I might be I might be uh, pressing my luck here, trying to jog your memory too far back, but I just love aha moments. Like when I saw it one way and then I saw it another. Do you remember going to a conference like that and walking away, going, "Oh, I see the software, you know, the SaaS business differently now." Did you have? Do you, can you recall any of those moments where you fundamentally thought about maybe scale differently, or you know, the service or the business model differently based on a conference or something like that with the the SaaS conference? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, the, the first two we went to, it, it was like drinking from a fire hose, just hearing all these terms that were still a little bit new to us. Um, things like annual recurring re revenue um, and, and ACV and, and different things. And so picking up on the terms 
and, and then figuring out how they fit together. Mm. Um, and, and two in particular, two, two terms and, and concepts that, that really were important, I feel like are, are fundamental for SaaS businesses you know, to this day is, is growth and churn. Um, <laughs> anyway, th- those two, bringing them together yep. is, is just huge. And so understanding why those are so important and the math behind it, um, and, and then the drivers, you know, and, and kind of how those two in, in, a, in a large, to a large degree are competing against each other. Um, and so, so you have to find that balance to, to really take care of both sides of that equation. Um, so, so that was, that was huge. And, and that'd be, you know, 2015-ish for me, I, I'd say when, when that started to come together. Um, and then the other thing that I think has really had a big impact on us is I was at Saster and, and somebody was talking about culture. And, and they talked about um, that they had this culture code and they called it the four H's. And I don't remember exactly which four they are. I think that they overlap a lot for us. We probably just kind of straight ripped it off. <laughs> sure. Um, but, but we came up with what we call the five H's. And, and so much of it was who we were already anyway. It wasn't that we were changing who we were. It was more recognizing who we were and, and what worked for us. And so then as we grew more, then we could continue to kind of sustain, you know, that, that culture and that identity that we already had. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that was huge. We talk about the, the five H's now just all the time, every single month in our company, all hands meeting, we talk about it, we review it. We, we, each department, you know, we, we have an H we focus on for the month. They, they talk about it all month long. Um, and so, so that's been really, really important uh, to, to maintain the integrity of, of, of who, we are, you know, who the character or what the character is of, of rain. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, this, this might lead to, I have two questions. This, my first question might lead to the second or it might not, but I wanted to back up because you mentioned one of the first greatest teachers uh, was being an employee, an employee yeah. yourself yeah. and that you had some thoughts or some principles start to develop around how you treat employees. Could you speak to that a little bit? What are some of those observations or some of those values and principles that you started to recognize and wanted to implement into your company that might be different than how other people might have experienced working at a company. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to suggest that all companies are bad at this necessarily, but um, so many times, and I, and I still see it, you know, people, when they come to work for us, they're just like, this is just this fundamentally different than what they have typically experienced in the past. And that is that, that we want to treat each individual as, as a person, not, not a number, not a, you know, we need, you know, five people in customer support so that our whole time is X. It's, it's you know, we, we want to know the names and the faces and, and, and the people behind, you know, the, the work that's getting done. Um, and, and, and a big, big part of that, and this, you know, kind of comes into our five H's. Um, one of the ones that I feel like is most important is being humble. Mm. And, and so I, I've always felt very strongly about that. That, that humility is extremely important and arguably more important for people who are in a leadership position. Because if you are humble and, and you are working with the people that report to you, they're going to understand you, they're gonna feel valued, they're gonna feel respected, um, they're not gonna be, they're not gonna feel talked down to, and that is going to drive such a higher level of commitment and performance from them than, than if they feel like they're just being dictated to all the time. Sure. Down upon. Um, do you so, have a, so that, that's probably one of the biggest ones. 
do you have a, a working definition that you like of humility? Oh man, I, I, <laughs> Does that I make don't sense? know. I don't So know. like if you're talking to your company and you're saying, Hey guys, we really value humility. Uh, yeah. what are examples you give or, or ways of thinking about it? Yeah, we, we actually, every single month in our, in our all hands meeting, we open it up for, have you seen examples this month of, of humility or the five H's, you know, any one of the five H's. Um, and then the people will, will raise their hand and say, yeah, I saw so-and-so doing this, this month. And so that's a big way of how we teach it is with real life this month. This is what I saw. This is what I experienced. Um, when I just kind of talk about it in general, it's quite a bit like along the lines of what I was talking about is that if you're, if you are the leader or the teacher, you need to present it humbly so that it's received, um, you know, uh, openly. Um, if you are the student or the new employee or whatever, you need to be humble to, to, uh, to, to learning and, to receive. and understanding there's, there's stuff you need to, to get better at and improve upon. Yeah. And so it really goes both ways. And if, and if it's shut off in either direction, that interaction falls apart. So good. Yeah. The reason I ask is I remember I had a kind of a wake up call to it, uh, a while ago where I'd always just misinterpreted humility, you know, as a. Uh, I grew up Christian, still am, and so that's a big part of kind of the biblical fruit, right, is this idea of being <laughs> humble, not arrogant, that kind of thing. But yeah. however I interpreted it in my young mind, it was humility was I was supposed to think less of myself, right? right. And I just remember right. somebody one time talking about it saying, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less often. And I was <laughs> like, oh, like you can still have confidence and contribution but the idea is just not to have a huge self-orientation and a huge self-protection that you're thinking yeah. about we more than you're thinking about me and not trying to you know prove things or protect your ego you know that kind of thing and i was like that okay that makes a lot of sense Does that you you're, hear me you're hired <laughs> you can talk to talk to our group about that no i you know i as as you ask this question i feel like i should have a better kind of standard answer for that um, uh, we, we, like I said, we speak so much, um, in our organization with concrete, this app, you know, this is what's just, just happened to us yeah. and, and then people get it, but you're exactly right. You're exactly right with, yeah. with how you're describing it. Well, and that's the best thing to do over time, right? Over time, being able to have real life situations that are examples and examples and examples of what you're looking for does get the point across, right? I'm always just curious, you know, on, in terms of like a quick on ramp into your culture, do I know what you mean when you say A? Do I know what you mean yeah. when you say B? Um, so yeah. anyways, that that's awesome. And so what as you think back on building the business that supports the product and the service, right? Mm -hmm. So the first challenge is building the product or the service that people want, right? <laughs> then once you do that, like your sales partner is saying, well, now we got to deliver, you know? Now we got to get customer support in here. We got to have people that can deliver this. And what was that like? Just as you think back on it, was it man, actually pretty easy in comparison to the other aspects of the business, or man, that was a real journey and we're still learning. Like, how would you, th how do you think about building the business around the product or the service? Yeah. Um, for sure. We're always learning you know, that that's, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Early on, I have to give tons of credits to, so, so to myself, um, and then my two partners, Brian and Milo. Milo is the third one. He's the one. He he'll totally tell you he has a, a very strong OCD streak, <laughs> um, and, and this attention to detail, and and so in, in, during the first couple of years, 
I was doing programming, just, you know, coding like mad. Um, Brian was doing the selling and then Milo did everything else. And so in, in, in a lot of ways for me, when I look back on those first couple of years, it actually wasn't that hard because he was doing it all. <laughs> he was the one who was, who was going in and just figuring out how to make it all, you know, stick together and come together. Um, and, and so, but, but with that said, you know, as, as, as time goes on, you know, we've, we've really learned the, the value of, of KPIs. We've learned the value of, of goals and, and, and having direction. And, and then as you work on those and you measure, then you're start, then you're able to then see, okay, where are things maybe coming apart of the seams a little bit and, and figure out, you know, how, how to, how to, you know, uh, fix things up, streamline, improve, you know, our processes or, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that we're working on there. I don't know if that's a good answer to your question, but yeah, I'm yeah. How we go about no, it. it's, it's good props to, to, uh, you know, your partner that was taking, it sounds like a little bit more of the responsibility around that aspect of the business, which in general, I'm always fascinated when partnerships work out well, you know, I'm, I'm in a partnership and it's, I prefer it yet it also brings its inherent complexity because there's not just yeah. one person making decisions. There's two people making decisions, right? You guys had yeah. three, uh, <laughs> three people. Uh, yeah. What are some of the keys to that being actually a, an effective uh, relationship? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I see partnerships that, that didn't work at all. You know, I, I've seen people were in, in that kind of situation for us right out of the gate, we separated um, financial uh, interests from, from voting. Um, and, and decision making, mm. and and you could you could critique how we did either, and I won't get into the financial side of it, um, other than to say, uh, I thought that we all should be very invested. Um, the uh, on, on the voting side of it, um, you know, since I'm the one who came came up with the initial idea and, and that type of stuff, I certainly wanted uh, a lot of say, but I felt right out of the gate it was important that it wasn't like a dictatorship, and yeah. so what we said was I would have two votes and they would each have one vote, which meant you could very well get into a 50, 50 you know, position. Um, and, and so, but, but that was very much by design where, you know, uh, they would need me on board to make some kind of course change. I would need at least one of, you know, my two partners on board to make some kind of course change. And then what that really did is it just got our mindset in a spot right out of the gate where, where we were very much interested in, um, making sure that we all saw things, you know, that, that we can come together ultimately. And so there hasn't been an important decision the entire the entire history of the company where we weren't all aligned. Interesting. Um, so so it, it, we just have, have also, you know, back to that that humility thing. Um, I think just played a big part of it for all three of us. We're also all just very very hard workers, and so you know you didn't have that imbalance of of someone working super hard and and someone else that, that that's not, um, and, and I mean, we got lucky. I'll be honest. Yeah, this worked out fantastically for us. Yeah, yeah. So, did you bring them in initially for their technical expertise, or the trust you already had in them as people, or a little bit of both? Um, it was. I mean, it's complimentary for sure. With, with Brian, he was sales, and I'm not. Uh, I didn't feel like I was a natural salesman. Um, and, and then Milo actually initially it was for for more sales, um, but but then we but then thank goodness he had this tremendous ability that was in everything else, and, and then it just fit together not the way we pictured it in our minds, 
but it was way better than the way we, we pictured in our minds. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, but, but that, that humility was, was super important for all of us that, and, and, and uh, the respect we had for each other. So, uh, and, and we've been able to maintain that through, through the years. It's awesome. And then we talked about before the podcast that just recently you guys completed a successful selling of this company that you built. Yeah. And that was quite a, quite an experience, especially with COVID being thrown there in the midst of it. But I'd love to hear whatever you're willing to share about what that experience was like, uh, because I know so many people listening here uh, either will un- accidentally find themselves in that situation and entertaining it, or maybe they thought about it from the beginning that they want yeah. to build and scale a business that they want to one day sell. And so I'd just be curious from your experience, from your seat, uh, to tell us a little bit about how, how that journey uh, progressed and how we got to the, in a quote, a quote unquote, a version of a finish line, right? I know it's not yeah. done and you're still with the company and we don't know what the future is, but that you got to that point, I think in May. Uh, so yeah. could you speak to that for a little bit? Yeah. So we started the process in, in December of 2019, January, 2020. Um, so just a couple months before uh, COVID hit. And so we had signed on with an investment banking group to, to go through that process, which we anticipated was going to be about a six month process. So we're halfway through that and then COVID hit and then everything just fell apart. Um, we, we had like, like a dozen meetings set up for at a particular conference in, in Las Vegas for like March, I'm thinking 26th or something like that. And, and then, you know, 10 days before the bottom just fell out. Oh. And so, <laughs> so that just kind of ended that for us. Um, and so we just kind of started buckling down thinking, all right, well, we're just going to keep around the business. Um, then in August, things, it, it felt like things kind of started heating back up again. We still had the agreement with the investment makers, you know, the, the, the length of time that, that kind of goes and they're like, Hey, we might as well at least try. And so we did we kind of kicked it back up again, talked to a few different groups, had a few that were at least somewhat interested in, in one party that was very interested and they came in with a real offer. Um, and, and the, the way the offer broke down and, and man, this is one of those things where it just depends on, on each person, right. You know, yeah. in your situation, what makes sense. They wanted to do, you know, a, a significant amount of money up front, And then a piece that was like an earn out over three or four years after that. And, and we had the offer in front of us. And I remember talking to Brian and Milo and, and I was just like, I, I was just dreading coming into work. I picture myself coming into work during that earnout period, and I'm like, I'm already tired. <laughs> we, we haven't even signed an LOI yet, and, and I'm already tired just thinking about that. Um, it just did not sound exciting to me whatsoever. Um, we wanted to still build something. We, we, we felt still very excited about what our company was doing and, and the future of it, and, and it just seemed like that this particular one was like just consigning ourselves to this slow, you know, exit, um, and, and, and just wasn't exciting at all. And so ultimately we said no. And, and we, so then we really did chart, like a, we, we spent a serious time on charting a 10 year path forward for us at that point. Um, thinking you, thinking you weren't going to find a buyer. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. We were done. Wow. No buyer. We weren't going to sell the business. We're like, all right, we need to get this to a level of profitability where we're happy personally with the financial rewards because so much of the financial reverse, you know, we were paying ourselves, you know, uh, certainly a, a fine amount, um, but we just kind of invested things back into the business, back into the business. So we're like, well, we need to start rewarding ourselves more substantially from a financial standpoint, but we're just going to own the business. 
And then in February, March, end of February, beginning of March of this year, one of the groups we had connected with last summer, they came back around and said, hey, we're starting a new initiative. And, and the, the idea that they wanted us to, to sign on for was actually, the, the, the picture they painted was exactly what we wanted to do originally, which was we wanted to find a private equity group that we could essentially you know, partner up with the, uh, where we could do a, a bunch of acquisitions um, and, and where the future was still very aggressive that, that we're gonna go after. And, and so they came to us with, with that exact picture at this point. And, and you know, with this, this vision of we're gonna do a lot of acquisitions, we were number one. And, and then we'd be, um, prop, you know, ideally over time, we'd have a few companies that we're building around, but we were the first core company to really build around. Um, and, and then we're gonna run this process for a number of years and, and really try to make something much, much bigger. And wow. so many other uh, opportunities you know, VCs, I could go on about why VC is not right for us, at least. Um, and, and, and then private equity, there's, there's a lot of them where it's, it's kind of buy and hold or cookie cutter or whatever. But we, we finally connected with the group that saw things the same way we did and had the same still, uh, you know, really aggressive vision for what we wanted to do. And, and then when, it, when, it, when that happened, Everything just clicked and it came together really fast. Um, and so it was just a little over two months. We we got the deal done, which wow. is a pretty aggressive time time frame. And uh and I'm honestly as energized right now as I have been in in you know two, three years about about the path going forward. So so I'm gonna still be running this. Um, you know, private equity, they kind of have their their window of time, you know, you know, they, they want to come and 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 really um accomplish certain goals that they set out and and then you know, it's time for another big event, whether that's another private equity group going public or whatever it might be. And so during this window, you know, I, myself, Brian, Milo, all of us, the entire company, we didn't lose a single person. Um, everyone is all in um, and, and we're running, you know, for, for kind of this next window. And then we'll see, you know, for, for me, I'm I'm a little bit, you can probably tell by some of the, the comments I've made that, you know, I'm, I'm not like a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. In, in five years or so. What what um, capacity did you agree to stay on in? So so I'm still, uh, I think technically I'm the president. Um, before I was the president CEO, it's still the same role. It's just that now I do have, you know, a, a higher up that, that I that I report to. Gotcha. So as far as Rain is concerned, um, still basically that CEO, that president CEO role. Uh, and, and then we'll actually have quite a bit to tackle as we, uh, you know, assuming things go according to plan, we'll be doing acquisitions that, that we kind of bring into, you know, to, to our umbrella, so to speak, uh, that, that we'll be working on. So actually really Super exciting. Yeah. Man, I'm curious, you guys eventually got clear on what it is you actually wanted. You know, what is the, what is a good deal? What's not a good deal for us? What is the reward we're looking for? What are we not looking for? Did that, did that emerge, that clarity emerge somewhat naturally just through the ongoing conversations you're having or was there like a a led discussion in a sense like a a format that helped you go that's actually what we want we we actually were able to articulate that this was what we wanted clear back at the beginning of the process hmm. but then what we discovered was that what we wanted um was uh, most uh groups out there did not offer that um 
And, and, and so ultimately, you know, when we got to um, September of last year, we're like, well, we can't find anybody. It's, this must not be in the cards. Um, and so we were tempted by these other paths. And, and it was a real struggle, actually, to ultimately say no um, and, and to be like, you know what, we're, we're just, we're, we're giving up on the selling it, you know, path. Yeah. Um, and, and we almost took that one offer. It was, it was a good offer, you know, good offer, good organization. Um, it, but it just wasn't us. And so ultimately we just felt like we had to say no, not knowing at all this would come along. Um, and so then when this did come along after having gone through that process, um, we're super happy that we really stayed true to, to us. Mm. Um, cause now it's just such a, such a more invigorating, exciting, you know, opportunity for who we, who we are. Yeah. You know, everybody else is gonna, you know, everyone's gonna have their, the, the right fit for them. For us, this was the right fit. So we're glad we said no to the wrong fits for us. Oh man. Well done. I know that's, that's such a high stakes moment that, that you held your, <laughs> well, you held your wife, ground. Sorry, sorry, Drew, I, to get out there, but, but my wife was like, for probably a month or two, I was like, what, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> we had a golden ticket. What are you doing? Yeah. 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 That, again, it's that foresight to think above survival, right? To think yeah. above, like I heard somebody say once, often we trade what we want, what we want most for what we want right now. Yeah. And you were able to say, that's not what we want most. You know, if we take this deal, it's a good deal, but it's not what we want most. And I just personally have always found I have a higher likelihood of getting what I want when I don't have to have it. Does that yeah. make sense? Like yeah. if you ever get to the category where you've convinced yourself, I have to have this, you end up yeah. like forcing these moments or you rush it, you know, and you, you're kind of unwise about it. But you guys, my guess is to a degree you realize we don't have to have that deal, which is why you created a 10 year plan. You're yeah. saying, Hey, we can live with this life too. We can keep leaving the, leading this company and we can, have an exciting 10 years. And I think that posture of, I want this, but I don't have to have it. Yeah. Maybe it'll let you see that this wasn't the right moment and that we can pass on this in peace and wait to see if anything else emerges. And man, luckily it did. Yeah, luckily, <laughs> I mean, really, it was like, okay, pass on. As of right now, we can lock in financial independence. We can, if we want to, you know, you, we can re retire. Um, but, but recognizing that retirement wasn't what we were ready for and, and that financial independence is as nice as that is, that there's other important things for us. Yeah. Um, that, that's what was critical to in the end. That's so cool. Yeah. I have a mentor right now who's, yeah, he's probably 70, he's probably 70 years old, has had an illustrious, successful career as a turnaround CEO. He was, a, he was basically a CEO for hire for companies, big fortune 100 companies that were struggling. And he had made all the money he wanted to make, and he thought he had time for him to retire. And I called him about you know three months ago, and I said, where are you? And he's like, I'm in Phoenix. I'm like, Why are you in Phoenix? He said, I didn't tell you. I took a job. I was like, Randy, what? Why did you take a job? You were living at the lake. You were retired. He said, man, I woke up one day, and I realized I was bored, and that I still felt like I had a contribution I could make. And so I decided to, to be open to it. And he's like, as soon as I was open to it, an opportunity came across my lap around a business I'd be excited to help. And he's like, it's not about the money. I just felt like I still had time left on the field that I could still be of service to people. And that's what I really find gratifying. And what a cool story to hear. And it sounds similar for, for how you're thinking about it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, so looking ahead, you know, um, if there's a post rain, you may, maybe I end up staying on that rain for a long, long time. But, but supposing that, you know, at the end of this, the, the, this run with this private equity group and, and it takes that next step, you know, another private equity group going public, whatever that next step might be. Um, until I see what that next step is, I don't know if it's going to be the right fit for me. And, and, it, and, and it won't be my call at that point you know, um, what, what that next step is exactly. And so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be. And, and it's, to be honest, I'm a little, it makes me a little nervous. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Um, but, but I, I also feel like kind of like what you're describing there with, with, uh, with your buddy Randy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see myself like, you know, quote unquote retiring, um, too much energy, too much, you know, I love to travel. I cannot travel year round. No way. You're right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and, and what else am I going to do? I, I gotta, I gotta create something. I gotta make something. I love it. I love it. Oh man. Well, excited for you. Excited for your future. Uh, the unknown is always a little bit anxious, anxious giving, uh, to us, but it's going to be, it's going to be a good ride. So I'm excited for you. Let's get into our lightning round questions and I'll let you get back to your day, my friend. So starting with question number one, these are five questions we've asked every guest on the podcast. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? You know, um, it's kind of ties back to the five H's. I would say our five H's, um, but I'd summarize that maybe. Uh, I love Tim McGraw. Um, the song, Always Be Humble and Kind. That's, that's what it would be. I love that. It is a good song. Uh, brings a little tear to your eye when you, when you listen to it. <laughs> uh, question number two. What is the single best advice you've ever been given about growing your business? And also what was the worst? So best advice I'd say came from my grandpa, um, who was a cattle rancher and, and also a businessman. Um, he said that whatever you're planning, it's going to take three times as long and it's going to cost three times as much. And if it still makes sense, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now that that's maybe a little exaggerated, at least in some cases, but I found that in so many ways, that's, that's very true. Um, on, on the worst, I would say there, there's, I felt a lot of pressure, especially being in software to cater to the venture capital, um, uh, path and to that crowd. Um, and, and, and I would say that had we gone down that route, that would have been the worst thing, you know, for us. Yeah. Other people, it could, it could be great, but, but, um, I think so many times in software, that's like the only picture that's painted. And honestly, you're made to feel like you're a failure if you don't go the VC route in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I would say that there's massive paths for success that don't require going the VC route. Yeah, yeah. It's so great to hear. We've heard that a lot on here. Some that have, it's been right for them and they've really enjoyed it. And others that have said, hey, just so you know, it's not right for everybody. It wasn't right for us. Uh, yeah. All right. Question number three. What currently causes you the most stress or worry as the leader of your organization? So um, I, kind of two things I would say. One is just macroeconomy. You know, I, I feel like that we've had a good bull run. Um, what, what's gonna, but, but, but what's ahead? Um, I think there's lots of signs uh, or even just history that, that shows that, that bumps could be ahead and that worries me. And, and then kind of along with that is, is that you know if there ever rises a time when we need, need to let someone go, um, especially like uh, in a layoff type of thing. We had to do that during COVID, which 
just about killed me. That's the only time we've had to do in the history of our company. Um, I never want to do it again. Um, still worries me though every day that, that I never want to be in that position to where you have to do that again. Sure, sure. And and I forgot to ask this. I always like to know just in context of where the company's at. What's the size of of the the team at Rain at this point? Yeah, we're about seventy five people right now. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Question number four. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? <laughs> um, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little different than it used to be um, now that, that we've partnered up with this private equity group. Um, for me, uh, I, I want to I grow this thing to where it's a billion-dollar business. Um, Heck yeah. And, and I think we got a, we got a clear path to, to get there. It's not going to be all rain. It's going to be rain, you know, a little bit of a bigger group effort here. But sure. with that larger group effort, that's that's where I, I want to get. That's where I believe we're going to get. Awesome. Awesome. All right, my friend, all the hard questions are done. Now we have our fun, creative question for you. So we're going to play a little back to the future. Okay. Question number five. If you could hop into a DeLorean and you get to go back to your past, but the rule is you only get to tell yourself in the past one thing as out the driver's side window as you drive by, when are you going back in your past and what is the message you're passing on to that younger version of yourself? And go back to about the time I graduated from college and say, get out there and start your business earlier. Yeah. And now, now it's kind of hard for me to say that because I did learn so much during those 12 years that, you know, we talked about, but at the same time, I, I didn't need to be as scared as I was. I'd do it earlier. Yeah. That's the most consistent message we've heard. Uh, coming up from question number five is people saying, man, I wish I had trusted myself earlier. Just said, go for it, man. You got this, right? Uh, yeah. I think it's a message we all need to hear when we're, when we're afraid. So that's awesome. Hey, Sean, this has been awesome. like truly, uh, I've loved this conversation. So much wisdom. Thank you for making time and being here and sharing with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Do appreciate uh, what you got going on here. Thank you, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.